0: Lord willing, we will bring uh, First Chronicles to an end. Uh, we're in chapter 23. We Really, tonight in this chapter, even though chronologically, probably not, but yeah, it's going to be, we say farewell to the greatest example of living closely to the Lord tonight. And that person's David. Sure, he fell, but you know what? He got back up, and he ran to the cross, and he finished well. And so tonight we say farewell well, Say farewell to him. Verse 1. So when David was old and full of days, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. You're going, yeah, did we see that? Yeah, repeat info. And he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. And we know why he did this. We've already seen this multiple times. David wants all the leaders online to help Solomon build his temple. Because really, it's David's temple. But... Solomon will be the one that builds it. Verse 3. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above, and the number of individual males was 38,000. Soldiers, if you remember, those who were ready for battle were numbered 20 and up, but the Levites started at age 30 based upon the instructions that we saw in the book of Numbers. Now, you can read all about who did what in the rest of this chapter, but before we move on, please know this. Their works all recorded here, just like yours are, in heaven. Except ours in heaven are recorded with a motive. But they're all recorded, everything. The non-believer, it's, if you go read the Great White Throne Judgment in Revelation 20, it says their works are there before the Lord. And so it all gets tried. Theirs gets tried. They're not in the book of life. They end up in Gehenna. Ours get tried as we pass through the fire, however that Plays out. Verse 24. These were the sons of Levi by their father's houses, the heads of the father's houses, as they were counted individually by the number of their names who did the work for the service of the house of the Lord from the age of 20 years and above. You know, again, why 20? Uh, one commentator writes David needed more servants. It's possible. Skip down to verse 27. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above. Because, see, if you remember, we started at age 30. Now it's already changed to uh, 20. And, you know, you think that the tap, the temple's going to come online and there's going to be all this new activity where before it was just an ark and a tabernacle. And so I could see why a commentator, if you didn't make the connection yet, why the commentator would say David wanted them 20 and up because they needed more than 38,000. Skip down to verse 27 for by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years and old and above because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron in, in the service of the house of the Lord in the courts and in the chambers <clears throat> and in the purifying of all holy things. This is all future that's going to be built and the work of the service of the house of God, both with the showbread, the fine flour for the grain offering with the unleavened cakes. And what is baked in pans with what is mixed with all kinds of measures and sizes to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. And likewise at evening and at every presentation of a burnt offering to the Lord on the Sabbath and on the new moons and on the set feast. By number according to the earnest governing them regularly before the Lord and that they should attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting, the needs of the holy place and the needs of the sons of Aaron, their brethren in the work. Of the house of the Lord, so we kind of get an insider look at some of the duties of the Levites here, chapter 24, verse 1. Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron, and there's divisions of Levites, just like there's divisions in Judah and 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 uh, uh, Reuben, because you got the different brothers and stuff. But here with the Levites, it's a little bit different. The, the sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abu, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar. And Nadab and Abu, Abihu died before the father, their father and had no children. Remember, they brought this strange fire to the Lord, and boom, they got smoked. They're just a little pile of ash there as their little sensor they had, the little metal sensor sat there and just kind of spin while they're just smoking ash on the ground. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar ministered. As priest, and that's the key word here, They're priest. Please understand, not every Levite was a priest, but every priest was a Levite, okay? In order to be a priest, you had to be of the tribe of Levi, but just because you're of the tribe of Re- Levi, you are not a priest. And so David's going to divide these guys up into 24 different groups. Verse 5 tells us they were divided by lot. You can read all about who got what tonight because I trust you all will. Verse 19, this was the schedule of their service for coming into the house of the Lord according to their ordinance by the hand of Aaron, their father, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded them. And so David, again, is making sure everything is set in order before he dies. That way there'll be no confusion when the temple's set up and it's up and running. Verse 20, and the rest of the sons of the Levites, or of Levites. So more reading for you tonight. These are not priests, okay? Remember, all Levites are not priests, but all priests are are Levites. So the rest of the sons of Levi, okay? Verse 31 makes that clear. These also cast lots, just as their brothers, the sons of Aaron, did. And then look at the final words of this chapter. The chief fathers did just as their younger brethren did. I love this. This is such a critical look in the church that's almost but extinct right here. Do, do you see what it is? You, th- this last phrase—it's extinct. It's like almost extinct in the church. It's—it's it's got like a little flicker in a oil lamp. It's the—the—the the, the bowl of the lamp is totally dry. It's just sucking whatever's left in the wick. Do you see it? Th- this look here is those that have served the Lord their whole life is mixed in with the young. Can you see it? I mean, that's why we're never going to cut the church up in all these specialty groups. Okay, if you're 25 and under, you're going to go over here. If you're 25 to 35, you're going to go over there. If you have children, you're going to go over there. And if you don't have children, you're going to go over there. And if you're a single parent with kids, you're going to go over there. If you're under 50, you go here. If you're 60 and above, go here. If you're 75 and older, go over here. Because who's ever going to rub shoulders in in the 75-year-old crowd down with the 20-somethings? Oh, no, that's not my group. My group's up here. That's not what this says. It says the chief fathers did just as their younger brethren did. This is so critical in the life of the church. I now have Bible backup to prove what the Lord showed me 25 years ago. I was sharing with the leader at the Bible college in the Philippines something that the Lord showed me. I said, if I ever go out, the Lord has already shown me exactly what to make it look like. Oh, really? you want to tell me what it was? I said, yeah, as long as you don't make fun of me. So I told him. He goes, "You know what you just described? Yeah, what the Lord showed me." He goes, "You just described the early years of Calvary Chapel. Because if you look at the church, it's all cut up. Calvary Chapels are cut up. You know, you go down ministries, 500 to pick from. What's your age group? What's your specialty? Drugs? Uh, well, if there's one for drugs, shouldn't there be one for liars? The habitual liar, or the habitual social media person? They can't get off it. I mean, shouldn't there be like groups for everything, right?" You go to the bookstore, the recovery Bible, the pervert Bible, the the social media Bible, the knitting Bible, the old person's Bible, the young. I mean, it's crazy. You see, the old, and you can figure out if that's you, bring maturity and experience and a lifetime of failures and successes, and the young bring zeal, fresh fire, and energy. That's why I love getting a, I do the, well, we'll talk about them before we get done group on Thursday mornings, but I love to also get around younger people because there's something about them. I loved it when I was doing the youth. There's just something about them. Before I left Santa Barbara, I had a junior high intern, just brand new, and he would come in and ask me what to do in all these different situations. I was more than happy to tell him, but as I would tell him, I would listen to my answers, and I'd go to myself, those are great answers. How come I never did that? And then I started thinking about it. Every time he'd ask me something, I'd tell him the opposite of what I did because I got in trouble millions of times. Hey, look, you can ask my pastor. He'll be out here to do Christina's wedding. He's not marrying Christina. He is going to, or he's marrying Christina. He's not going to marry Christina, just so there's no confusion here because there's already been confusion all the way to Costa Mesa. Ricky's coming out to marry Christina. Isn't she a little young? Uh, no, Ricky is not going to marry her. He's going to perform the ceremony. Okay, just so we're all clear here. And you can ask him how many mistakes I made. Millions. But he would come, and he would. And the thing is, he never pushed back. Because, and there are other guys; they'd push back. I'd never go to them again. Sorry, I'm not keep peace. Struggle on your own. I made all those mistakes. There's a million more to make. But, but that was the young and the old. That's how it's supposed to work in the life of the church today. And that's what it says here. This look here is all but extinct in the life of the church today, thanks for the cutting up of the church and all these specialty groups. So, salty dogs and poodles, you can decide if you're older, like a poodle, or old geezers and mature women. I would never say old women, never. Get myself in trouble. So, here are your marching orders. You decide what you want to do. Jay, you're older than all the other kids in the, in the children's ministry. Someone's always older. I mean, take this look of old and young blended together and fulfill the command of God's word in the book of Titus, where it is commanded for the older women to train up the younger women. It's commanded. It's commanded. It says that. And the older men are supposed to train up the, the younger men. It's commanded. They want to know what you know. Don't, don't ever give them your opinions just give them jesus i was sitting with some in the last couple weeks they're way younger than me and it was just like bible 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 question 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 it was awesome people want to know chapter 25 we're going to see this look again before we go dead. moreover david and the captains of the army separated for the service some of the sons of asaph of Heman, and jedutham who should prophesy with harps stringed instruments and cymbals. you see what just happened here and the number of the skilled men performing the service was. You see what happened here? You got military and worship leaders joining together here. You see that? I mean, it's an interesting look here by David, is it not? As he takes the military leaders with the worship leaders and he blends them together. There has to be a reason here. That's the observation. David took military worship leaders, blended them together. I think there's two reasons, maybe more. I suggest to you there's two. First, David wanted the worship of the Lord God always mixed in it, always mixed in or ahead of the military might of his army generals. That way no one would ever lose sight of why you just won that battle with the worship leaders in the mix. You would never lose sight of that. Well, we do this in our own strength. David knew if they took that approach, they would be in big trouble. And so he's got it all blended in. Secondly, the way this is worded, God was going to speak direction to to these worship leaders that in turn might speak to the military leaders. Look back at the middle of verse 1. Who who should prophesy, the worship leaders, with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. Now prophesy is proclaim God's word and truth under the influence of the Holy Ghost. It's prophesy. I'm doing it right now. Every time you open your Bible and share with somebody, you're prophesying. However, Prophesy also is proclaiming a future events under the influence of the Holy Ghost. And no doubt, probably both of these are in play here. So be a military general with you. You know, put on your little military-style hat, whatever you want. You're the four-star general. And you have the possibility of someone beside you with a hotline to God who knows everything, the beginning from the ending. Would you want them close to you as a military general? Yeah, dude, you want them hooked to your hip. I mean, you'd want them right beside you. And so it's a great look. Verses 2 to 7 teaches there were 288 of these men. But there's something we got to see here at the end of verse 6. Asaph, Juduthan, and Heman were under the authority of the king. Yeah, okay, that's pretty exciting. Uh, well, the worship leaders were submitted to the guy in charge, King David. Danny's always been. It's never been an issue, ever, 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 ever. Back up to the end of verse 5. For God gave Heman 14 sons and three daughters. All these were under the direction of their father for the music in the house of the Lord. So not only was Heman under the direction from from David the leader, his family was under the direction of their dad. Great look here, families. Those worship leaders that are not like this, They've caused more denominational church splits down to the ages than anybody else in the church. In Santa Barbara, the largest church at the, at the time when we first moved there, it had so much eternal conflict. It would split, it would split, it would split. The last, the final split that killed it, the worship guy had this budget of like, you know, over a quarter million dollars. He was not willing to help pay the bills. And the people that were on his side said, no way, we're the worship guy. Church died, and they sold it. Sold the church. Somebody else is in there now. They said they wouldn't sell it to Calvary Chapel. We wanted to buy it. We won't sell it to you. Thank you. (laughs) Verse 8. And they kept, oh, that's on the record now. (laughs) Nobody knows who it is. Of course, you live there. Verse 8, and they cast lots for their duty. And tonight, when you read this, you'll see there are 24 different groups to match the 24 different groups in the previous chapters. So everything is balanced. But look at the end of verse 8. We see this look again that's dying out in the church that's in love with itself in the last days. And they cast lots for their duty, the small as well as the great, the teacher with the student. It's all blended together again. Everybody's on the journey with the Lord. Old sinners, young sinners, small size sinners, big size sinners, teachers and sinners alike, all that are sinners. They're all blended together. There's no distinction, separation, or segregation in God's house right here. But there is today. And that's what I love about our church. People don't care if you're old, young, married, single, whatever. They don't care. And the day we do care is the day we should just close the doors. Or when young people walk in. I haven't watched lately, but when I was doing it, our young people would attack them. Another young person walking in. Like, wow, welcome home to the family. We're glad you finally got here. We've been waiting for you. That's how it should be. There were so many new people last week. Man, if you didn't meet a new person last week, you are stuck in a rut. You are. You are. You are. As the Lord God by lot assigns each man his post. You know, that'll certainly keep the egos in check, won't it? Hey, David, how come you gave that guy? No, 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 I didn't do that. God did. Remember, who cast him by lots. Chapter 26. Concerning the divisions of the gatekeepers. I'm sure you're all wondering about that today. You go, man, I sure hope I get to find out about those gatekeepers. Hey, these had the job of keeping things safe and keeping the right people in, the wrong people out. There you go. You want more? Imagine they probably made sure no one was bringing sales in during the Sabbath day, I think. More names, more numbers in this chapter of gatekeepers, but look at the quantity here. The first guy, whose name I cannot pronounce, in verse 2, he had seven sons. Well, that's cool. I mean, I would like seven sons. Father Abraham had seven sons. Oh, no. Is that how it goes? Oh, yeah, well, maybe seven. Okay. Verse 4, however, the sons of Obed-Edom, remember him? Why does his name sound familiar to us? Oh, the ark was in his home. Remember 2 Samuel 6:11. the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and, listen, and all his household. Wow, when, remember, it's like, well, when how he, when, how he did that. That's what I said. So starting in verse 4. You start counting, okay? So how many does he got so far? Go back and look at verse 4. No, sorry. Moreover, the sons of Obed-Edom in verse 4. Also to Shimei, Obed's edoms firstborn, so keep counting. Also to Shimei's son were sons born who governed their father's houses because they were men of great ability. Holy! imagine that. They were of great ability. Must have been in the gene pool, right? Obed-Edom must have had great genes, and so he must have been a man of great ability. No, none of that nonsense. They're this way because the biblical record says the Lord blessed all of of Obed-Edom's household, including his sons. That's why they're like that. And that's why this record is here. Okay, get down to verse 8. All these were the sons of Obed-Edom... They and their sons and their brother and able men with strength for the work. Great ability. And verse 6, and now great strength. When God moves, he moves everything. 62 of Obed-Edom. The other guy had seven. They have 62. I mean, imagine that. Just like we read in our Bibles. Verse 9. And Mishamama, uh, had sons and brother. 18 able men. So he had 18. That's pretty good. I'd love 18 sons. But that's a long way from 62. And even farther away from seven. Among these were the divisions of the gatekeepers, verse 12, among the chief men having duties just like their brethren to serve in the house of the Lord. And they cast lots for each gate, the small as well as the great, according to their father's house. Again, no one's going to be left out. Each in accordance to how many kids you have. More kids, more duties. Less kids, less duties. Makes sense. And as they cast the lots, God was the one, again, assigning Order and position. So that would keep egos in check. It's like, dude, just chill out, man. That's the one God gave you. Go be stoked about it. It's really hard to argue over who got what when the Lord God is appointing. More of who, what, and lot casting for you to read in verses 14 to 19. Last verse of 26, verse 32. Or last, chap- last verse of chapter 26, verse 32. And his brethren were 2,000... 700 able men, heads of fathers' houses, whom King David made officials over the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, for every matter pertaining to God and the affairs of the king. Interesting, isn't it? It's like, yeah, what's the big deal? Well, it says that these guys are special. They got 2,700 able men to rule over them. It's almost like God knows they're going to need extra spiritual help. So you have 1,700 leaders on the west side, or the right side of the Jordan River, the Promised Land side, for nine and a half tribes. But on the east side, I think the wrong side, those who chose not to cross over, for two and a half tribes, you have 2,700 leaders. Do the math. David must have knew something here as God was speaking through him, laying out instructions. Or maybe David didn't even know. He just knew what God spoke to him, and so that's what he spoke. But you have 2,700 leaders on for two and a half tribes on the wrong side. You got 1,700 leaders for nine and a half tribes on the right side, which is really the left side of the Jordan River. Chapter 27. Oh, one last thing. These said uh, 2,700 leaders would deal with the spiritual and governmental matters of the king. Okay, chapter 27. And the children of Israel, according to their number, the heads of their father's houses, the captains of thousands and hundreds, and their officers served the king in every matter of the military divisions. These divisions came in and went out month by month throughout all the months of the year, each division having 24,000. Yep, you guessed it. More reading for you tonight. But not until we read of my personal hero's assignment among David's mighty men here in verse 2. Over the firstborn for the first month, so he's going to be the first one to come up and serve when this whole thing gets put in place, was Jehoshabim, the son of Zabadil, who we also know as Adino, and in his division were 24,000. He was of the children of Perez, and don't miss this here. He was the chief of all the captains of the army for the first month. So he's the top one of the three mighty men that David had. So not only chief, but when the splits are made, like I said, he and his 24,000 men served first. Verses 2 to 15, it's the division of the 12 captains, or the 11 more captains with their 24,000 men each month. So the way this is, you have one month of active duty, and then you have 11 months to equip and train. No wonder David's fighting force was mighty. They are only on active duty one month out of the year. At least that's how he's setting it up here. Furthermore, over the tribes of Israel, the officer over the Reubenites, civil service leaders and all the tribes, and there are 12 of them, more reading for you tonight in verses 16 to 22. Please notice as you read that tonight, the tribes of Asher and Gad are missing. Good luck on why. If you figure it out, I really don't care, so don't come and tell me. <laughs> Just discover it for yourself because I don't know, I don't think you will. Verse 23 a beautiful little nugget hiding in here. But David did not take the number of those 20 years old and under because the Lord had said he would multiply Israel. Like the stars of the heavens, and God did when they obeyed, and he did what when they disobeyed? He plucked stars out of the universe because he subtracted when they disobeyed. All right? All right? You with me? When they obeyed, God blessed them, and when they disobeyed, he he subtracted them. As of today, this is a commercial break here, you know, you can stretch, right? You know, do whatever you need to, do right here. The population of Israel is 8.7 million. Because I just wanted to see. It. It's like, okay, as as stars of the heavens. It's like, and you know, that's a long way from just Abe and Sarah. You know, started with two, you got 8.7 million. But then I started thinking, well, how many of the Arab brothers that have Abe's blood flowing in them through Ishmael are also counted in this number? Actually, quite a few. So then I thought, well, I wonder how many. I wonder how many people live in these countries that surround Israel. I'm just curious. I mean, none of us probably know that number. You're going to know right now. So the countries touching Israel's border, remember, Israel has 8.7 million. So the the countries touching Israel's border, we're not counting the Palestinians because they're not a country, they're just a bunch of criminals. Remember when um, Yasser Arafat and the Olympics and they raided that thing in 74, I think, and invaded and killed all the Jews? That was when the Palestinians came to power. They're a bunch of terrorists. Probably didn't know that. You do now. Okay, so Israel has 8.7 million. Jordan has 10 million. Egypt touches Israel's border. They have 98 million. Lebanon, way up at the top, real skinny, has 6 million. And Syria, right above Lebanon, squeezed between, still touching Israel, has 18 million. That is 132 million against 8.7 million. And and you're going to tell me there's not a God in, in heaven? 132 million against 8.7. Now I didn't do the math, but that'd be like okay, 132 million and 8.7. So what is that like? I don't know. 10 person, you know? Okay, we're gonna gang fight. Every every 10 of you have to only kill one Israeli. Or whatever. 40. And then I thought, well, yeah, but you know, you know, Egypt. You doesn't say bad things all the time. Jordan's kind of quiet. You know, they got the nice little treaty there. Lebanon is off and on. Syria, real loud. But what about those that could strike Israel's border? You probably didn't know this either. Again, we're still on commercial timeout. Iraq is 38 million, which is 530, mi- which is 539 miles away, and in a commercial plane, you can make that distance in less than an hour. Throwing a supersonic jet. 38 million. Iran, 81 million, which is 1,112 miles away. And in a commercial plane, you can cover that distance in just under two hours. Oh, that's still pretty close. Saudi Arabia, 32 million, which is 798 miles away. And in a commercial plane, it'd take you 1.4 hours. You add all those numbers up. That's a lot of people. Iraq, Iran, those guys don't really like Israel. And you're going to tell me there's not a God in heaven. Here's this little sliver of land with these 7.89, whatever I said, 8.7 million people. Okay. Commercial break's over. Back back at uh-huh. it. Verse 24. Joab, the son of Z- Zariah, began a census. And we know why, right? We saw that back in chapter 21 last week. More leaders with their specific duties. Verse 25. Leaders over the king's treasuries and uh, that bro- brother was over the storehouse and the field and the cities and the villages. And in the fortresses, verse 26, Urzri was over those who did the work of the field for tilling the ground. Because, hey, you got to till the ground. Everybody's got to be a tiller. Verse 27, And Shimei was over the vineyards, and Zabdi was over the produce of the vineyards for the supply of the wine. Of the wine, Those guys were always happy for some reason. I'm not really sure why. Uh, Baal Hanan. Who would want that name? The Gitterite. But he was a leader in David's cabinet here, or his governmental position. I mean... Baal Hammond. What's the first thing you think of? You're doing Bible study. You know, that's an observation. It's like, geez, what dad would, would name their kid like that? Well, I don't know. First, I guess you got to find out what the name means. His name means Baal is gracious. So at least you know what his dad was serving when he had a kid, right? Because he was serving pagan idols because Baal is like the worst. Well, he was over the olive trees and the sycamore trees that were in the lowlands and Joash was over the store of oil, verse 29, and uh, not even trying, uh, that, that name there, we'll just call him the Hendersonite, the Sharonite was over the herds that fed in Sharon, and Shaphat was over the herds that were in the valleys, verse 30, Obel the Ishmaelite, that should catch our attention, a descendant of Ishmael, at least one got smart enough and came back, who was over the camels, he was a camel jockey, Uh, Jed, D.I., was over the donkeys, and to do the, like, jazz music was over the flocks. All these were the officials over David's, King David's property. Yeah, God, you blessed him. But it's going to get even a greater blessing before we get done. And uh, 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 Jonathan on steroids, because that kind of really what it looks like. They just threw in a bunch of extra letters there. David's uncle was a counselor, a wise man, and a scribe. And uh, Jehiel was with the king's sons okay verse 33 Ahithophel was the king's counselor until he became a traitor against David at Absalom's uprising and Hushai the archite was the king's companion remember when Absalom does his uprising uh, Hushai the archite he wanted to go with David and go out with him and David says look you're going to slow me down that would tell me the guy's probably old and so David sent him back and he became a spy for David and Absalom's inner circle Verse 34, after Ahithophel was Jodiah, the, the son of Benaiah. He, This guy, Jehoiada, the son of Benaiah, he was one of the three mighty men. He's going to lead the army once David dies and Joab revolts against Solomon. So Solomon's going to say, hey, go get her done. And this guy goes and gets it all done. And he becomes the, the commander of the army, then Abiathar. And the general of the king's army at this present time under David was Joab. Chapter 28, repeat information, verse 1. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of the tribes, the officers of the tribes, the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands, captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the kings and of his sons, with the officials of the valiant men and all his mighty men of valor. Then King David rose to his feet and said, notice he rose to his feet. Would David ever be sitting as the king talking to his men? No, no. okay, so observation, he's sitting now interpretation is his health must be declining because he's sitting there. But now he wants to say something. He's going to make a statement. And he rose to his feet and said, hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house for the rest of the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. And he did. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name. Because you've been a man of war and have shed blood. It's all new information. Same information. Repeat. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For He had chosen Judah to be the ruler and over all the house of Judah, the house of my father. And among the sons of my father, He was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, and this has never happened before. Remember, Saul. Saul was king first. Did Saul's son come into power? No. No, he is killed. So this is going to be the first time this ever happened. He was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel and of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. I'll repeat information. But it's well needed, I believe, because there's a traitor in the ranks of the sons, even after dad dies off. So all those in attendance right now, a few of them will be tricked. Others will, a few of them will willingly go and support the uprising of the traitor. And yet Solomon will swiftly put it down. He'll use that guy, one of David's three mighty men, to do it. Verse 6, now he, and that's capital H, and that should be, he said to me, before I committed adultery, remember that Bible study last time? It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my course. But now David's at the end of his life, retelling it to the leaders, standing up. It's not his final words, but it's going to be his final time he tells him this. But your son Solomon, that's what God told me, who shall build my house and my courts, for I've chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Again, keep in mind, Solomon wasn't even born yet. Too bad the son doesn't listen to his father growing up. Verse 7, repeat info, as David publicly passes off the torch, but this... Will still not be his final words, like I said. Moreover, I'll establish his kingdom forever if he's steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess his good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. Well, the kids get it, but Solomon has it serving idols. When his kids get it, for as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. That's the greatest advice any dad could ever leave their kid. Hey, you need to know the God of your father. And you need to serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. That's the greatest advice any dad can leave their kid. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. That's the greatest advice any dad could ever leave their kid. But if you forsake him, he will cast you out forever. That's the greatest advice any dad could ever leave their kid. So consider now, kid. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. That's the greatest advice any dad could ever leave their kid. So be strong and do it. That's the greatest advice any dad could ever leave their kid. The reason being is because it's spiritual advice. There's this thing in the church, look, you get a college graduation, you get a house and everything, you have have arrived. No, no, not if you're lukewarm. Not if you're lukewarm on the journey. Not if you're lukewarm when you get there. You know, they say, oh, all these kids have lost their faith going through college. No, they never had it to begin with. Ken Ham does this incredible statistical study. No, they lost it. They never had it, just that when they got older, they rebelled against it. Then David gave his son Solomon a big hug. I don't know if he did, but and the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chamber, its inner chambers, and the place, of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had, look what it says, by the Spirit. Don't miss that. I love this. The Holy Spirit was directing David and drawing the plans for the temple to be built. How much more is Psalms? You know, Josh, uh, I would, he, we'd, he'd always talked about he wanted to build a castle on some land. He, he goes, Dad, I can't live in, you know, like in these houses all tied together. I just want to buy like five acres and build a castle. Yeah, oh, okay. I thought whatever. And then one day he goes, hey, hey, Dad, you got a man? I said, here. He brings in this, this spiral notebook. He goes, here, I drew it all out. He has a floor plan. He has a whole floor plan. You know, he's got the five acres all spread out, and it, sure enough, it's a castle with all these other buildings, and you, you got a 10-foot wall across the top. You're going to race motorcycles across. The whole thing is nothing but a crazy place to get hurt. And then, and then, and then on other things, he detailed it out. Like if on a set of building prints, you have the whole, all these different. You know, this is the electrical page, this is the plumbing page, this is the HVAC page, this is the framing page, concrete page. But then it has details, sections, cross sections. He got all these cross sections, all these different things built. I still have it. I doubt if I will ever build it someday, but hey, if you ever want to build a castle, I might have some plans you can borrow. <laughs> as long as you call it like Josh's place or something. Uh, but anyway, David is getting these plans right from the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. He had by the Spirit. Drawing the plans of the courts of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers all around, of the treasuries of the house of God, and of the treasuries for the dedicated things. Also for the division of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord and for the articles of the service in the house of the Lord. God gave him all of this. It's all mapped out. Verse 14. David gave gold, and you might watch for that word gold. It might pop up a few times. David gave gold by weight for things of gold, for all articles used in every kind of service. Also silver for all articles of silver by weight. For all articles used in every kind of service, the weight of, for the lampstands of gold and their lamps of gold, by weight each lampstand and its lamp, for the lampstands of silver by weight, for the lampstands and the lamps, according to the use of each lampstand. And by weight he gave gold for the tables and the showbread for each table, and silver for the tables of silver, also pure gold for the forks, the basins, the pitchers of pure gold, and the golden bowls. He gave gold by weight for every bowl, and for the silver bowls, silver by weight for every bowl refined gold by weight for the altar of incense needed to be pure. And for the construction of the chariot, chariot, that is the gold cherubim that spread their wings and overshadowed the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, or otherwise known as Mercy Seat. And this said David, watch this, The Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plants. I love this. Don't you? See, you can struggle in your own training and rely upon your own education and work experience when you get stuck. It works. Or in everyday practical matters of life, the Lord God who shows no partiality, if he does it for David, he'll do it for you, will help you and guide you in all types of other types. Keep it in context of building matters. Both Mikey and myself can attest to this over and over again. It works. You get stuck, it's absolutely not going to happen. You look up, you ask for wisdom, God gives you something, boom, it works every time. Amen? It does, it works. Or you can just kind of sit there and, you know, it's like, well, how did I get here? It's like, who cares? You're there, man. Ask, seek, get it going, get it done, get going again. And David said to his son Solomon, verse 20, for the second time, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. Watch now. He will not leave you nor forsake you. It's almost like David is, is prophesying here. It's almost future prophecy that's prophetic. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. True or false? It's true. And it it's so true. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Once Solomon has the temple built and his new house. Remember, well, I guess we haven't got there yet. But when he builds them, he builds his house and the temple at the same time. And once he's done building them, what does he start to do? First thing, right off the the bat, or maybe even before that. I I didn't check this. It might be right after that. What does he do? He acquires... Wise. Who's the first one from? Name the country. Starts with the N. Ends with the T. You guys are so smart. <laughs> but not just Egypt. Then he starts collecting wise and wise and wise. He does not do that, I believe. Well, I'm positive, because of this is prophetic right here. He doesn't do this until after it's built. God, David says, "My God will not leave you or forsake you until you finish all the work for the service of the house of the Lord." Would God leave Solomon if Solomon kept doing and serving God and God alone? No, No, absolutely not. Solomon should listen here. We know these foreign wives will turn his heart away from the one true God. Verse 21, and then the kingdom gets split. Ten tribes up north, two down south. Verse 21, here are the divisions of the priests and the the Levites for all the service of the house of God, and every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workship, uh, uh workmanship, for every kind of service, also the leaders and all the people, will, completely, will be completely at your command as dad hands the key of the city to his son. The plans, the people, the leadership, the support staff, the materials, the laborers, the craftsmen, everything he needs is there. Also, all Solomon has to do is pull the trigger. That's it. That's all he's got to do. Chapter 29, last Sunday's Bible study. I believe David wants to get everybody as excited as he is about the temple. I believe that's what he's going to accomplish here. He wants to get all the leaders set apart unto God before he passes off the scene. I can guarantee you there is no way he's saying, hey, look at me, like the Pharisees did at his giving. If you think that, you're to see it, because that is not what he does here. That is not what a man after God's own heart would do. Because he's going to talk about what he's given, but I can guarantee it's not like the Pharisees. He is doing it to try and stir people up. You know, the best way to make sure everybody's behind you is to get them to drop their dollars on the table with you. Because when they drop their dollars on the table with you, you know they're with you. We did. When we were going after the building, we dropped in over half. Nobody else wanted to cross the promised land and get the building. It still sits over there today. Still sitting, waiting to be inhabited. But at a way higher cost, first one. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might, and there is no doubt as we read this that he truly did get after here with all of his might, that David did this with all of his might, gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onk stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and marble slabs in abundance. Everything that the Lord had shown David, that's what he did. Gave it all to him. David's original plans for the temple that he got from God buried somewhere waiting to be excavated. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, David... He had some, it's written down somewhere, and I think it could have been destroyed. But can you imagine if they found a clay pot in all David's original drawings of the first temple? Man, that'd be like worth billions, trillions. Verse 3, moreover, David says, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold. I'm pretty sure that's way beyond the tithe of the gold of Ophir and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold for the things of gold and the silver for the things of silver and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then, okay, David says, this is what I've done, okay? I've given billions. This is what he does. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? That's the challenge from their king to his people. As David says, hey, look, I am all in with the Lord here. I'm not even going to see the temple built, but I'm all in. And and I hope you can see David saying, I want all of you to be in with me, that you'd be all in with the Lord. That's what I said on Sunday. At least I hope I did. you got to be all in. But then David takes it a step further. He doesn't want any 10 percenters of the people. He wants 100 percent. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day? To the Lord. Man, it takes faith to step up and set yourself apart from the Lord, just like an Old Testament priest would do. They were consec- The priests were consecrated to the Lord. David's not saying, look, I don't want you to consecrate yourself to be a priest. I just want you to consecrate to yourself to the Lord and get in the game here. It's a great picture. There's a reason why this happens today. Verse 6, Then the leaders of the Father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and hundreds, with the officers over the work, king's work. Offered what? Say the word. Willingly. It will not be the first time we see that. That's the kind of giver that the Lord's looking for. A cheerful one. Gosh, didn't we see that somewhere? Barry, did we see cheerful giver on Sunday somewhere? And they gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 drachias or derricks of gold. 10,000 sil- talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Baal, the Gershonite. Anyone see a picture of tithing in there? I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered what? Willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered. How? Here, we're going to do it all together again. And, and with a loyal heart they had offered. Amen. Wow, this tie's real quiet over here. To the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. Now, I hope you can see that and have ears to hear, because God has a message for each one of us tonight that has not consecrated himself this day to the Lord. Because when you do, you're free. And God's now free to work in you and work through you. Verse 10, this reads like a psalm. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that's in heaven and earth is yours. But see, they just gave. They just gave all this. And they gave all this because David acknowledges that God owns everything. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come for you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might in your hand. It is to make great and to give strength at all. That's why we will see in a week or two, maybe this coming Sunday, I haven't figured out where I'm going to stop yet, where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. That's what these guys did. They gave unto God and they don't have to worry about anything because they're consecrated unto him and he's going to take care of them. That's what Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things you need. Food, drink, and clothing will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We're going to see that when we get to the book in in a couple weeks on Sunday morning. Now, therefore, verse 13, Our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. So the law said you had to give the 10%, but that didn't mean you got the 90% by, by yourself. If, if you remember, I, I said the 90% was left for you to manage. And that's what David says here. For all things come from you, and of your own we've given you. See, when a person believes that, that's when you move from a tither to a giver, and you're set free for so many things. I hope you see what David's doing here. This is the Old Testament picture of Sunday's message that I planned out 19 years ago. I figured out when we first moved out here that first I was going to do Nehemiah on a Sunday night and I was going to do Ephesians on Sunday morning and then I was going to do all this and then I was going to start in Genesis and then I was going to jump over here and then I was going to jump over here and then I was going to do this and then I was going to start over here and then I was going to do this and I was going to teach all the way through the rest of the New Testament and then I was going to go back and go here and then I was going to go over here and then I was going to go here and then I was going to go back here and then I was going to go here and then I was going to start in here again and teach the Revelation, and then I thought, am I going to go to the Minor Prophets? Now i start in Matthew. If I would have, if I have went to the Minor Prophets, we wouldn't be here today. The message of Sunday would not match the message of tonight. See, this is a picture. This is like so crystal clear of what they did. That's the message of those who gave on Sunday morning. Of what Jesus is saying. But when you give, it's a giver, not a tither. It's a picture. I hope you can see that. To me, when I saw this, he's like blowing my mind by putting the best. This is the best Old Testament picture before us that reveals the heart of a cheerful giver. It's right here. This is it. And David is telling God how thankful he is to be able to give. Like, who am I that I should be able to give to you? That's what it says. Look back there. It says, who am I that I should be able to give to you, God? It's privilege. It's worship. David is saying he knows that both the heart to give and the ability to give were gifts from God. Do you see it? Do you see it that way? Do I see it that way? That's how David saw it, the man after God's own heart. Verse 15, for we are aliens and pilgrims before you as were all our fathers, our days on earth are as a shadow or without hope. And until I believe that, I will not be a giver or a soul winner. Our, our, our lives on this earth are like a vapor. Gone. We sang the song. First song. We could be out of here. Boom, gone. I hope we're looking for that. We are so weak, God, but you are so great as David's worship here. Our Lord, our Lord, our God, all this abundance that we've prepared to build you a house for, your holy name is from your hand and it's all your own. It's all yours. It's all yours. God, we're just giving it back to you. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and a pleasure and uprightness. It's all yours, God. See, if it's all God's and I give it all to God or give whatever to God, it's all He already owns it, so He's just gonna go watch, watch this. My math is way greater than your math. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, David says, I have what? Willingly, Willingly offered all these. Things, and now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer. Just in case you missed it, the other five times, six times there. I willingly gave to you joyfully, cheerfully. And I had this chapter all planned out to be done the Sunday right after I got done talking about cheerful giving and all time. I'm thankful nobody came up and pushed back. I know so those people I don't know if they're listening online or whatever, but I'm thankful they gave their millions or billions if a talent of gold is 120 pounds and they gave 5000 of them we're already at 600,000 pounds my calculator wouldn't go that big so let's cut that number in half 300,000 300,000 pounds is 48 million ounces gold today is, is all time high 1427 an ounce that is 68 billion 496 million that's what they gave I don't think anybody's a tither there unless they're like a tri-billionaire or something. Plus, when you look at the law, it says if you don't give the tithe, we're going to tax you another 20%. Remember, the law was given to show me I was a sinner, not to make me righteous or consecrated unto God. That's why the law was given. Verse 18, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of your heart of the heart of your people, and fix your heart towards us. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things and to build the temple for which I've made provision. I mean, that needs to be the prayer of all of our fathers today. Amen, men? That needs to be it. That you'd keep them. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. Some commentators, I didn't look at all of them, believe, and the reason I didn't is because I believe they're right, David dies here. And that the rest of this chapter is Solomon's coronation. Remember, the chronicle writer leaves out a lot of things that the kings puts in. So this might, the rest of this chapter might be Solomon's coronation as, as a king. Verse 21. And they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt sacri- offerings to the Lord on the next day. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs. Sounds like a, a, a consecration thing when Solomon becomes king with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. So they ate and drank before the Lord with great gladness on that day. And they made Solomon the son of David king the second time. When was the first time? When was Solomon made king the first time? when David was alive. Remember? Adonai. Bathsheba goes to David. I thought you told me my son was going to be king. Total setup by Joab. Then after David's death, Solomon's Brother Adonai comes again. He tried a mutiny the first time, didn't work. Solomon let him off. Hey, if you prove yourself to be a man, go your way. I will kill you. Remember, after David dies, Adonai comes to Bathsheba again and says, Hey, can I get Abishag uh, David's heeding micah? Like Remember the virgin he slept with, Kidgumorn? And she goes, Well, let me just go ask my son. <laughs> and we know what happened. And, and they anointed Solomon before the Lord to be the leader and Zadok to be the priest. And Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David, his father, and prospered. When you see that line right there, and then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David, his father, that would, the way this is worded, that just proves David's not a lie. That would never be worded that way if David was alive. And all Israel obeyed him, all the leaders and all the mighty men, and also all the sons of the king, All the sons of King David submitted themselves to King Solomon. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel, and the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died a good old age, full of days and riches and honor, and Solomon his son reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed they are written in the books of Samuel the Seer in the book of Nathan, don't have it. The prophet in the book of Gad the Seer, don't have it. With all his reign and his might and the events that happened to him, to Israel and to all the kingdoms of the lands. Now, no one ever says this, but I just thought about this. Yeah, they we don't have those works. But what if what if Gad or Nathan wrote first Kings and Second Kings? I, I'm just throwing that out there. No, they never get like Billing, like they could have wrote that possible i have no idea uh, father we're, we're thankful for the pictures the timing is unbelievable and so again whatever you're trying to to speak to us lord we want to be able to see it we want to be able to get it and lord we want, we want to have ears to hear what you're speaking to us